Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How did it get 30, 30, how get 30, how did get 20, 20, 20, how did get 20, 20, how did get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. start off by asking about your last time in Glasgow actually because I heard that you were accosted by a gang of white geese <laughs> <laughs> I was at a truck stop uh, I, I don't know if you guys call them truck stops there but yeah no I was they, they were following me around <laughs> <laughs> I love that city man that was such a good time there's always something crazy happens oh no the audience was just so I remember that night they were just so alive uh they were just so full of energy and just just uh robust in nature uh and jovial it's funny that we begin with an anecdote from touring because i think was it your first album i don't even know if it's made it onto the internet was it called wilbur mountain was it an album about traveling wow yeah not what people know about wilbur mountain that's a deep cut <laughs> well i'm intrigued because are there any parallels in making an album like that which is very much about traveling and about being on the move And then how does that compare to creativity within COVID times and being very much stuck in the one place? Are there any interesting parallels there? Well, I've realized that I actually like being in one place. I never realized how much of a hermit I am. Uh, I like traveling, but I feel like, you know, I did all my traveling in my 20s and late teens. I mean, by the time I was uh 18 i'd seen 38 of the 48 continental united states wow uh so i've been traveling for a very long time was that traveling with music or just traveling in general it started out with just traveling in general and then that turned into traveling with music um they sort of went went hand in hand uh Uh, informally at first just by busking and and meeting people at bars and then going back to their houses and playing and then becoming shows and sleeping in your car or sleeping on a park bench or me and a bunch of friends in my early 20s really threw ourselves out to the wilds of america i think we were driven to the road by you know all the songs that we had heard and you know kerouac and We were just like, we wanted to be a part of that beat, so to speak. And uh, it didn't really stop for me until COVID. I've become a much more uh, stable person. I didn't realize that it's just, it's not that, how do I put this? I've learned to love being at home. 
Uh, I don't miss the road nearly as much as I thought I did, but I do miss playing shows. I played a show recently. I'm sure I'll get the bug to travel again. The break has been nice, though. I saw as well. It's in, So that was kind of, was that through most of your 20s you were doing a lot of that traveling? Yes. And it became, I didn't become a professional touring musician until like my, like, till like 27, 28. So until then, it was just DIY tours. And before that, it was just adventures. I guess you're collecting quite a lot of stories in that time, though, that you then kind of utilize once you get into the spot that you're in at the moment. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's I can't say if I've I've collected so much as individual stories, but I think that it's more of collecting the story of America over the last 15, 20 years. Like I've seen it change. I've seen it grow. I've seen it homogenize. I've seen it gentrify it's uh i have my relationship with the road as a living breathing organism that i know very well like i feel like i watched towns get destroyed by walmart then rebuilt by hipsters and then now taken over by amazon and everywhere you go is a chilies and applebee's and, and um a love's truck stop it is a lot like watching <laughs> it's an environment you know it's an economic environment and a and a and a lands textural landscape environment as well. Well, yeah, I mean, I think one of the kind of main motifs of this new album is that idea of commercializing art and branding. How like what you've just Evil been discussing stuff. bleeds into that. Yeah, Evil stuff, man. I don't know. I don't know how the word the letter R stuck into the word band. Uh, I blame the white the not the white stripes, the black keys. They made selling out to Apple commercials cool. I don't know, man. I think it's, uh, call me old fashioned. I think that that stuff's not cool. I don't think it's like, like, I feel like, uh, how old are you? I'm 20. You're, you're 20. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. So I'm, I'm 34. So like I watched, you know, some of my favorite bands growing up were like the arcade fire and like bright eyes and like uh, modest mouse, but like particularly a band like the Arcade Fire, where that chanting that they did that was so unique to them was commodified for commercials that sold sold me crap I don't need. Do you think that's the fault of the band, or is that because there's been so much revenue kind of taken out of the industry, and that's a kind of key way to make some of it back now? Well, I don't. I can't say for certain that I would never accept money from a corporation. So I can't say necessarily that it's the fault of the band. The problem is, is that it's become the standard. It's what people are aiming for. Oh man, it'd be so cool if like uh, my song got licensed for a commercial. Like, like, no, you should be aiming for like making stuff that makes people think or feel, not makes money. My favorite artists never made money. I don't make money. I don't know if that's as much. <laughs> It's like that line on the album, though. You know, it's a good song if it sells some beer. Yeah, no, that's 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 pretty true. Um, Ironically, yeah, no, and and that's very much Nashville. I mean, the entire downtown is based on beer sales, and the music they pick down there is based on what sells the most Bud Light and uh, these these hard seltzers. I, I, I'm not a drinker, so I don't know. Have you have you experienced these hard seltzers? I don't think I have. It sounds quite an American kind of uh, thing. Like, you guys don't have White Claw over there? No. No. Oh, my God. It is so stupid, man. It's like seltzer water with, like, a little bit of malt liquor in it, I imagine. 
and people go nuts for this shit because it's low calorie. But yeah, no, it's uh, it's wild to see it. People so willing to commodify themselves that people, and not even just artists, but people are expected and are expected and also see themselves as brands. Like what my my personal brand, like my personal brand. That's it's it's such a these words like trend and brand and I mean branding. I mean it's it's so you can't make this shit up. I mean the word brand comes from branding of cattle with an insignia on it of who owns it. It's concerning. <laughs> like like <laughs> this, doesn't, this doesn't feel like uh, I mean. I'm probably stating the obvious here, but this isn't something that's going to lead to better art. No, I don't think so. I think it leads to, and then when you mix, you mix blanket statement, political views on top of that, that are also align up with a brand. You're not actually saying anything. Like when Apple or whatever put out a statement about the kind of political topic of the day. Yeah, no, it's, it's not actually, it's just placated and not like, Oh, it's placated to liberals, man. Like, no, it's 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 doing a disservice to great causes. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like it's not it's not the way it should be. I mean, this is not uh I I was kind of a dick the other day. I um my my girlfriend's 24. She was wearing a Clash t-shirt. And I I I had to ask her. I was like, "What's your favorite song?" She couldn't answer it. But she had <laughs> she had read a it just like, how can you wear a band shirt that of a band that you don't even like, but you just like the aesthetic of? She's not the only one that does that. Well, you see a lot of people in Ramones t-shirts. Oh, I mean, it's, yeah, you know, and we're living in like an exaggerated version of that conversation, you know? I, I admit that I put her on the spot. She did name a song. It was, com- it was, it was, uh, her favorite album was, uh, was Combat Rock and her favorite song was Rock the Casbah. But she did not know she had read a book by Mick's girlfriend. So she assumed that Mick was the lead singer and did not know who Joe Strummer was. And that is what happens to art when it is commodified. Yeah, it becomes boiled down to an image that isn't particularly representative of what it actually is. Absolutely. And I don't fault her. It's a generational thing. I can't believe... How do you know about Wilbur Mount? Uh, I think I heard it mentioned in another interview you did. Uh, oh, okay, yeah. Because I, well, I looked it up after as well, because you spoke about in that too, about how... I mean, it's kind of the antithesis of what we're speaking about here, because you only printed like 200 copies of it or something? Yeah, 200 copies, and it's mastered very low, so you can't really hear anything. But then it inspired people, didn't it? Oh, yeah, it was, it was so strange. People went and they like quit their jobs and started hopping trains and bought, and not bought, but you know, found stray dogs and you know, gave them bandanas. <laughs> so the album, the album, I guess, touches on a lot of that stuff. I'm a big Craig Finn fan. So I think I'm always trying to sort of uh, take the same um, literary perspective that he's taking on things. He inspires me tremendously with his critiques of modern society. Are you ever almost as much inspired by the philosophy of an artist as much as the music of them and the art that they create? Yeah. I think when I was younger, I would be at fault for caring, like sort of the critique that I just made of my, my significant other of carrying around books in my pocket without ever really reading them, 
uh, I think I did that with a lot of uh, some Kurt Vonnegut books and some uh, like Albert Camus. Like I didn't read The Stranger until like last year, but philosophically, what that guy's about is it's, I'm I'm all for that. If that makes any kind of sense. I mean, I was going to ask about that in relation too, because you reference Richard Pryor and then Andy Kaufman as well on that song. Is it Myrtle Street? Yeah, uh, Myrtle Beach. Myrtle Beach. Beg your pardon. Yeah, Myrtle Beach. Because, I mean, Kaufman is someone who I was intrigued by your kind of thoughts on and whether that was someone you might have taken influence from philosophy as much as the art that he created. Oh, well, yeah, that's a, that's a great example. I mean, I'm a huge fan of his work. And I'm a huge fan of Richard Pryor's work. I mean, Richard Pryor is probably, next to John Stewart, my favorite stand-up comedian or, you know, or next to George Carlin as well. But I study Pryor's work as much as I study... Craig Finn or John Bryan or anybody else's. I just, I've never really related to being a musician. I've related to being more of a writer and, and also more of a performer. So like someone like Andy Kaufman, there's that relationship that certain performers and writers have with the audience where they're just two seconds away from flipping of the bird. Richard Pryor has that. Andy Kaufman has that. Those are the people that I admire the most. Or the ones that perpetually have their middle fingers in the air, like Charles Bukowski, or uh, they just don't give a fuck, <laughs> or Albert Camus, or Modest Mouse. They they do not. It's middle finger straight in the air. Is that kind of what you were referencing on? Is it maybe is it Busted World where you talk about the jokes on you? Yeah. Well, I, I think that that album is that that song is strategically placed on the album to sort of be the both the catharsis and the thesis statement of the whole piece is that. If you think this world is anything but absurd, then you don't get the joke. It's an absurd world. Uh, well, I know what it's like over there, but have you ever been over to America? Yeah, twice. I went to Florida once as a kid to Disneyland, and I went to New York for a few days once as a kid. When you get out of the country, you have one chain restaurant next to another chain restaurant. You have a Starbucks across from a Starbucks. It's absurd. It's an absurd world that we live in. It has very little rhyme or reason to it. But the joke's on me too, you know? I'm the, I'm the dope here taking all this time to tell you it's a joke when you should just know it's a joke inherently. So it's on me too. Well, I mean, <laughs> I mean, with the album, you do this thing like we're kind of talking about here where you'll start with the... The album very much kind of starts by looking at the kind of surface level branding aspects of a lot of things, but then that kind of gives way to these existential questions that we're talking about and the kind of bizarreness of it but i think you do admit on the record too that you know we're never really going to find out the answers to these bigger questions when you come to that revelation are you more at peace as a result of that i think i'm at peace with my philosophy on the world i think learning to live with those learning to live with that absurdity and make peace with that absurdity is an album within itself uh recognizing it and acknowledging it is one thing uh reckoning with it and understanding it as the atmosphere in which you live in it's like learning to swim uh with the tide not against it you know yeah if you can fight them join them kind of thing go with the flow maybe maybe you'll see me in a couple months and i'll be on some sort of uh commercial and i'll <laughs> completely sold out to the illuminati <laughs> I, I i i obsess on that stuff man i like it's wild like we have an entire there are i regularly go into these worm rabbit holes because I'm fascinated by it. Millions upon millions of people watch, like, what are the most viewed things on the planet? Like, like TikTok cat videos and people saying, 
that there is a secret organization of lizard people that eat babies that dominate the world stage. People believe that. How far gone is the society that we've gone back to? I mean, it, it's not. It's like how is it not? The, I mean, th- that those people are like harmless compared to the other ones that think that you know that somewhere Tom Hanks is draining a child full of blood full of its blood to to sustain his youthful appearance <laughs> like, that's it's the not world working we live in, man it's not that's that's <laughs> the world we live in it's uh it's it's completely fucking absurd but yet i have empathy because how do you how how lost in one's own personal life do you have to be to you say throw your hands up in the air and say screw it that's it it's lizard people like, where do you have to be as a person? What's going on in your life? And that's where, like, larger things like capitalism and this, and I'm not totally anti-capitalist, but we're, we have uh, unchecked capitalism that is running rampant through our society that is leaving these huge economic wealth gaps. So it's no wonder that people are thinking crazy shit. Um, but then again, I ch- sometimes I think to myself, like, is this like, you know, we hear about these like um, things that happen in history, like these big monumental moments, like the printing press. I'm sure that for like 20 or 30 years after the printing press, people were like, they- there must have been the conspiracy theorists of those times who could barely read and barely understand what they were looking at. So they were drawing wild conclusions about things that they had. There's a learning curve that has to take place. I don't know that because people were very tied to religion at those times, weren't they? They were, but they, but also the only people that could read were the ones that were with the religious doctor. Yeah, uh, or, or reading the religious doctor. So it's kind of like the only people that like they understand the internet are the ones that built the internet. The main thing that was printed with the printing press was the Bible. It wasn't like there was like, oh, we have this printing press now. It's like publish all these great works of fiction. Printing press was basically like a way to mass produce the Bible. Yeah. I'm just thinking about what we've been saying in regards to the kind of, uh, you know, the lizard people and the flowers society and where this all goes. Because it doesn't feel like it's going away. It's heightening of anything. I think that's where human empathy comes in. And uh, you, have to, you have to reach across the aisle. I would just as gladly do press interviews if my label also sent, and I would be just as happy if my label sent me 10 flat earthers to talk to. It might be more interesting than quite a few of the press interviews. <laughs> well, no, but, and just hear them out. Let, let, let them keep talking until there's no steam left and then just level with them. Because uh, it's really, I think, at the core of it, it's a population society that feels like it's unheard and unrecognized. I, I personally, as a human, have empathy for, I don't know, I, I've been told I'm over-empathetic, but I empathize with everybody. I mean, I admit when I was, because uh, I, I followed that, that whole QAnon thing really hard, because I was like, this is a moment in history. I, I want to be, I don't want to be told what this is. I'm going to follow it like Hunter S. Thompson followed the Hell's Angels. How early on did you start following it? Well, I... I Dove in. I had a friend who kind of who kind of drank the Kool Aid. He called me up one day. And he was like, "Man, I'm really confused. I think that there might be something to this." So I started digging into it, digging into it. I knew, and I held on. I was like, "There, there is no way that there is any truth to this." But I'm going to throw myself 
into the pit of this until I for myself can prove them wrong without just the basic knowledge of like, well, I know that this obviously isn't true because I wanted to understand the people that were involved. I want to understand who they were and they were aunts and uncles that don't understand Facebook or Twitter and they're lost on the internet. And this gave them a home and this gave them friends and other people to believe that believe in this stuff. And then the persuasive power of the internet and yet it leads to these, these, you know, speaking of the insurrection stuff like that, it leads in to very dangerous ends. Did you foresee that when you first started looking into it, once you realized it was bullshit, but there was a lot of people kind of gathering behind it? There, there had been so much hype on those hashtags about the changes that Donald Trump was going to do that I think what happened was there was this pressure building of like Donald Trump is going to be the one that frees all of these trafficked children from the Hollywood elites. From <laughs> and he's gonna and the the, the great storm is gonna come and then donald trump and his conglomerate of fucking idiots took that and weaponized it but then really what happened was is trump never met those expectations so the people that were involved escalated their own tensions to where they brought it upon themselves people died because of it and this kind of makes, and I'm going to tread lightly because I don't want to seem insensitive. You know, back in the 80s and the 90s, like I was in middle school when uh, Columbine happened. And they blamed, you know, Marilyn Manson. And in the 80s, when kids would be killing themselves, they were uh, blaming Ozzy Osbourne, you know, for the metal music. These tragedies that happened, these people have psychological issues you still have to reach out to them as humans and try to get to the psychological feelings of alienation and depression and isolation from the rest of society. In- inclusion is, is the only way to, I think really, uh, and, and it requires sort of an agree to disagree stance, you know, which is totally lacking today. Oh, it doesn't exist. And it doesn't exist. And it's a shame. And I, I'm, I, as a lifelong, lifelong Northeastern liberal, I mean, I have, I have a cat named Robert Kennedy. You know, uh, <laughs> that's a good name for a cat. Bobby K. <laughs> uh, I have a lifelong Democrat. They're not doing humanity too many favors either. <laughs> these days it feels like well he's not really since he's been in he's not really changed too much has he he's kind of just continued along the same path yeah. to a certain extent yeah yeah but Other i mean the climate change agreement and everything which i thought was cool and i think that uh you know we're i mean i voted for him i voted for him good and early <laughs> i could not take any more of that asshole. you didn't have much alternative well, I, and i've never disliked biden you know, and, and I think it's a very American, I don't know what it's like politically over there, but it's this very American thing to put all of these expect, like as a nation, talk about the absurdity of it. The infrastructure of government goes from local all the way to Congress and the Senate and various different um, 
departments of justice and the Supreme Court. There are so many other things besides the president, but it is such an American concept to think like, you know what? Everything rests on one guy. His name's Clint Eastwood and he's got a revolver. <laughs> like, like, no, we are the government. We are, we are the people. We are, and you can have a broad effect by just being a part of the community that you live in and that there isn't one human being. It's a Superman complex that there will be. And it's kind of why, I mean, look at cinema. Cinema has just become an extension of Marvel comics. <laughs> like, cause we're obsessed with this concept of, of this one saving entity that the burden of all, maybe, maybe it roots back to Christianity, you know, the, the deep Christian nature that Messiah complex. We that's kind of what I like about Biden though, is that so much of the emphasis of what he's about is on the cabinet and on the people who are the team surrounding him, which I hope that that changes the way that we view politics in the future, where when we don't think about just electing one person, we think about electing their entire team. You know, Ob uh, Do you Obiden think people thought about that when they voted for Biden? I don't know. I don't know. I think people were just so scared of Trump. And I was never scared of that guy. I, when I remember when Trump was elected or the night of the election, I was actually on tour. I was like, man, if Trump wins, this is the president America deserves because this is just ludicrous. I don't want that guy. I wouldn't want, I wouldn't want that guy serving me a slice of pizza. Like if that guy owned a freaking pizza place, I wouldn't go to it. And that's just by the way he interacts with people. Like it doesn't take that much to see that, that guy's a jerk. I'm not scared of the dude. He's an idiot. Who thinks he's smart, <laughs> which can be quite dangerous. Oh, tremendously dangerous. So I was very glad when Biden got elected, just because how much more of this could we take? I mean, it was brutal. I think particularly last year. Yeah. Oh, the pandemic. I mean, so yeah, Trump. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. On behalf of America, I apologize for that guy. That, that, was, that was our worst. <laughs> you mentioned uh, something quite interesting earlier on, maybe about 10 moments or so ago, where you said that you've been told that you have quite a high level of empathy for other people. You know, when we're talking about the need yeah. to, to listen to people and not isolate them. Is there any link between that and songwriting creativity, do you think? Oh, I think so. I think that... Um, I think writing is a job of service. I think that the writer's job is to be a conduit of a particular type of energy that lives in the ethos of something that it's your job to, to take in people and put them on paper. I think it, it's an essential part of it. I, I don't think of like, look at like, um, it's like being a cartoonist, like Charlie Brown, like through this one, you know, Charles M. Schultz, through this one character, embodies an entire dimension of the human experience. Through this one guy with an orange shirt with a black stripe across it. That's the job of the writer. So I, I think that empathy plays a crucial role. And I don't think that I personally like many artists where I feel like it's entirely about them. Like, I'm like, the character that's singing in that is in on the record is just my Charlie Brown. It's just meant to be a relatable point. Something that it's just a just a guy with a 
it's just a guy with a funny nose, a curly Q hair thing and a, and a black stripe. And, and he goes through these experiences that are human. And that's my intent with writing, which I guess that there's a perspective that, that you inherently have. But that perspective is, is so influenced by the wealth of humanity you experience traveling, being part of the world, going to the grocery store, going to the gas station. It's, it's just an essential part of it. It's the only part of it. <laughs> it's almost like empathy. Like based on what you're saying, there, it's almost like empathy is what allows you to tap into those broader issues and find that connective tissue that's going to resonate with people. Yes, you just put that very well. That's exactly what I meant. <laughs> I remember that for next time somebody <laughs> asks me that question because that was exactly what I meant. But it gets you in trouble because you'll end up being somebody that uh, I'm not angry with QAnoners. I don't approve of them. <laughs> but like, I get it. They feel left out of the world. Look at all the, look at all the images we're being fed every day. I mean, the, I mean just, just try to imagine taking any historical figure that you, you know, grew up with in, uh, as a child, right? That was sort of, we'll take George Washington, for example, or Ben Franklin. We'll take Ben Franklin. That's a great example. And imagine making him sit through a YouTube advertisement on an iPad and the windows that that he would be, he would be clinically insane by the end of the day. He'd lose his mind. Yeah. He'd lose his mind. First of all, he'd be like, I can touch this thing and it moves. Second of all, he'd be like, why am I being sold, you know, ads for, you know, men's hair club and B, like, why am I just having opinions being screamed at me? We live in an insane world. It's like, it's like uh, H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds or whatever. We're living through, I think, the closest parallel historically is what it must have been like when the radio was introduced. Like, there was silence, everyone lived in a certain way, and then one day, this thing that connected everybody with a singular message came across the airwaves. Um, if you look at the inventions of that time using radio, uh, light bulbs, airwaves, uh, uh, electricity, rather, people came up with some wacky ass inventions that made no sense and were tremendously lethal as a, as a, as a result of it. I can't name any of the top of my head, but so, and that's what we're living in now. These, it's just wacky times. We, we have this, this new force that allows, like, I'm literally talking into an Apple product with someone across an ocean. We have this new thing that we don't quite fully understand, A, where it's going, B, the implications of it long term. C, I don't know what C is, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah. There's a, I think what you touched upon there, the idea that we're speaking to each other from across an ocean, that's the beautiful side of it. Oh, totally. But the negative is that we're, yeah, like you say, blasted with opinions 24 Too many opinions. I mean, over-editorialization is a huge issue. I mean, if you, t if you take an infinite amount of articles about the same subject and just continue reading every single point, micro point of view on something, you're going to fight with yourself about something that you agree, that you agree with yourself on. You're going to drive yourself insane. So that's why, man, I watch this PBS NewsHour. Uh, it's the closest thing. It's just, it's in America, it's just, it's just straight up news. It's just once a day, six o'clock, 
Judy Woodruff. PBS is like public broadcasting, right? Public broadcasting. It's not even, but it's not NPR, which is um, way more opinionated. And opinions are cool, but like I prefer to have my own, you know? (laughs) (laughs) That's a good quote. I like that. (laughs) That's how I feel about that. And I do appreciate points of view, but I feel like the best way to really come up with an opinion is to have facts, digest those facts, and then think about them. But then again, like (laughs) we're living with devices that can process information faster than we ever could. And our biggest biggest resource is, is that human element, that thing that makes us human, which is what also makes us monkeys. Could that make being creative more valuable, though? If we move towards this kind of AI world where it's very desensitized and, you know, maybe a lot more intelligent than us, but very kind of taking emotion out of it, could that make the kind of gift of songwriting more powerful? I think it could, depending on who's holding the pen. And if people continue to hold the pen for the purpose of being part of the algorithm, we're living in like... Warhol's wet dream. Well, that was his quote, wasn't it? That everyone will be famous for five minutes. Yeah. You reference Warhol on the album too, I think, don't you? I do. Uh, I think he gets a name check. I can't remember what song though. <laughs> it's not impossible. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I feel like I really hope to one day be referred to as reference rock. <laughs> um, that sounds like a very kind of uh, modern day concept though, doesn't it? Well, I mean, I think it is postmodern originality and and i think it's wonderful i mean uh, i mean but it's it's got its roots in i think dylan really popularized referencing in modern folk music and folk writing i mean if you look at a song like desolation row it's just reference after reference after reference i'm trying to think Warhol. did i mention Warhol? I don't think I mentioned Warhol on this album. I think you did. <laughs> Not to fight you on your own lyrics. <laughs> no, uh, it's sure, possible. I'm sure there is one, but I, honestly, I can't remember. I think it's not when um, you're talking about the suits on one of the songs and they reference uh, Warhol. I think you're right. I think you're right. There's a lot of references in this album. Oh, yeah, Warhol, advertisement. Title track. <laughs> yeah, the title track. Oh yeah, and I mentioned Sartre, Warhol, and Joni Mitchell. I, you know, I didn't think about that um, because I always think that what I love about what I loved about writing that song and producing it was that I was able to make a punk song that referenced Joni Mitchell, um, <laughs> who is arguably the most punk of the entire movement. Very punk. Uh, she was so fun. She's a badass. I'll till till the day I die. She is so much of a better writer than Bob Dylan. Just so much of a better writer and gets none of the credit for it. And Dylan's quintessential work of Blood on the Tracks, in my opinion, is just it's just derivative of blue. It's Dylan trying to be Joni Mitchell, but Joni Mitchell's so much better at it. So much better at it. But she I um, just uh, enamored with her work. It's interesting what we've been talking about. You know, we've kind of cut, touched upon the theme of like exchanging ideas through various kind of um guises and where we're at today in the modern world but on this album you you mentioned the fact previously i think that you felt like it's very much a sum of its parts and there were five people behind working on it and you felt like a member of that team as opposed to kind of solely your voice i think yes yes that's the main gist that's why i'm so proud of it if i felt like i don't think i could ever be this proud of something that was just me (laughs) (laughs) is this something you kind of been planning for a while was the desire you had to collaborate 
much more directly than you maybe you had previously? I knew that Nashville was pointing me in a direction that was farther away from my roots, which is indie rock and punk music and snarky sounds. I love, I, I have the utmost respect for session players and people that make their living off of being like the best at their craft. But it's at the end of the day, what I'm drawn to is the person that's playing with such a sense of urgency and they're playing like they really got something to prove. I was able to find that in my group of friends that were very like-minded. If you haven't checked out Ryan Saab, uh, he's the, he played the electric guitar and some of the backup vocals. Uh, Ryan Saab and the Dead Mall, which is basically the band that backed me for this record. It's, he's phenomenal. He's just phenomenal. That dude's got so much piss and vinegar. It, he's really worth checking out. But, but I, wanted to, I wanted to reconnect. This album was about reconnecting with who I was before Nashville. The kid who played in punk bands. The, the Mikey. You know, I, that's the, the major failing of this album is that uh, everybody seems to get it entirely, except for this one point that like, don't you get it? I'm Mikey. Folks will come to me like, dude, I know I'm Mikey. I swear to God. I, yeah. Like, who's Mikey? I'm like, I'm Mikey. <laughs> this is me. I was going to ask you about Mikey because that song kind of looks at someone. I mean, the indication is someone who's kind of overstayed their welcome a little bit. Oh, that. Yeah, that's well, that's that's me. That was me then. Do you think that there is an optimum number of albums for an artist in order to kind of say what they need to say? I have been giving that a lot of thought lately. I have one more album written and I've made peace and I'm deciding personally whether this one or the next one will be the last one because I don't know how much more I have to say about it. Especially when you're tapping into such universal things. Like, although there are a lot of references that feel very current and like we've been talking about, you know, very pressing modern day issues at the heart of it. I mean, it even comes back to what we're saying about empathy. It's a very timeless kind of universal thing that runs through the core of your music. I feel like I, I feel like I made my, my case, you know, and if, if this album, like if Anti was to drop me or something, I don't know if I would pursue making the fourth album. I have it written. It's so I don't know to answer your question between three and four. <laughs> I think uh, no artist needs more than three or four records to really make a point. I noticed you started drawing though as well. Was that something you could kind of maybe segue into for another way to express yourself and expand upon these ideas? Yes. And I'm not saying that I wouldn't. Well, the reason that I've been thinking about it a lot lately is that I'm 34 years old. I've been traveling since I was 17. Um, I've been trying to write good songs since I was eight. Um, I've been, I am the definition of one tract. I've given more than half of my life to this so far. And I'm very grateful. I often say I'm the luckiest guy in show business. Uh, nobody knows who I am. Apart from the Scientologist. <laughs> Other than the Scientologist. <laughs> but nobody really knows. They, I, I mean, I'm so low, I'm so low profile. Uh, I'm that, I get to be that fine line of critically acclaimed and low profile at the same time. I'm so low profile that the Scientologists don't even want anything to do with me. <laughs> um, <laughs> they thought about it. They're like, nah. But so I thought about, you know, three or four. You know, <laughs> but for me, I've given so much of my life to this that 
painting, my relationship with painting and drawing has become something that I feel like songs lately I've been thinking about that songs are like explanations of a feeling. It's like trying to have a feeling and saying this here, this is a weird feeling I have. This is my attempt to make it make sense to you. A painting or a drawing, it's just the feeling. It, it requires no audience and requires no acceptance. Songwriting inherently requires acceptance. Unless, unless you're writing from the same way that someone's painting, where you're just like a Nick Drake who's just writing for themselves. You know what I mean? Like, but for the most part, historically, songwriting is something that is built for applause for instantaneous recognition a painting i I have to admit in a way that you can't really with many art forms too no and it's amazing you know with painting i gotta be honest with you i i was pretty broke a couple months ago and i started selling some paintings i miss them uh i'm glad people have them uh and i'm glad people wanted them that was very cool does it feel a little bit like giving your song up to an advert is it kind of letting go of a kid almost you know it it is in the sense where suddenly it has a financial figure attached to it. Yeah, but you know, I was very, very particular about how I dealt with that. And I let people pay exactly what they wanted to pay for the paintings. So someone could literally get a painting of mine for 50 cents if they wanted to. Um, because my art life, my music life is so commodified to where a record has a certain budget, that budget makes the record. That record then has a certain fixed price point because it's been manufactured by a certain entity. And like, that's really cool. But I want to retain the feeling of it not being a commodity for as long as I can with the art and the illustration. And also, it's just fun. It's fun to discover. I mean, I know nothing about painting or drawing. So every time I do it, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's like a virgin. It's totally exploring where I've given most of my life to the pursuit of making words that under that encapsulate feelings. It's so like, think about that, like wor- making words that encapsulate feelings. And then it's like sort of, it's almost gratuitous too, because really you could just be like, I'm sad. <laughs> <laughs> you could say it. We've made one word for it. Sad, <laughs> happy. Oh, there's a hummingbird right outside my window. Wow. That's fortuitous. That's a good, yeah. good omen. That's, that's a good omen. How much of your self-worth do you think is tied up in your music? I'm a man of little pride. I care tremendously about my songs as if they were my children. It doesn't matter so much what happens to me as long as they thrive. Um, so I guess that could be not so much self-worth, but there is a... I have sacrificed tremendously on their behest (laughs) Um, to the point of being impoverished uh, to feed them. I've, uh, (laughs) I have to make no money. Apparently Well, I recently was thinking something like the saying for artists should be like, if the artist is broke, don't fix it. And that's okay. You know, I, I have very, I myself have very little to do with the, do with it i guess it's it's a conduit it's an energy and i also i'm happy when uh everybody else is happy in the situation like i i really do like 
knowing that my audience is satisfied. I have a very small but loyal fan base. And when they tell me that they're enjoying what I'm making and it means something to them, that's just the coolest feeling in the world. <laughs> it's just so great to, because it's like sending out a beacon for like-minded people, you know? Yeah. And that's the coolest feeling in the world. The audience, my, my little group of, of weirdos is, is just the coolest and it's small, but you know, it's, it's loyal. I mean, I, I recently, I don't check my Spotify numbers that much, but one of my songs from the last album recently cracked over a hundred thousand plays. I only got like anywhere between seven and 10,000 monthly listeners. Like that means that that person, they're going back to the material. The person that is into what I'm doing is into it's it's it, it must mean something to somebody, <laughs> you know. <laughs> deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.